0: all things land development planning and property this is property on fire with Ian Walmsley to find out how Ian can help you visit propertyonfire.co.uk hello and welcome to this week's episode of property on fire so what do we have coming up on today's episode as usual several of you have been emailing your questions to Ian at propertyonfire.co.uk and this episode is no exception We have questions this week about an extension and whether Mark can actually do what he's wanting to do, and Jack has a query on whether he can still convert a residential property into an HMO. Also coming up, I'm joined by Darren from Acumen Finance, who will be giving us our monthly update on the property markets. So without further ado, let's get started. But before we do, please do like, review and subscribe to this podcast and come with me on this property journey. Before we jump into our first question that has been sent to at Property on Fire on Twitter, the government last week released a consultation paper for their plans for the General Permitted Development Order come July 2021, or the GPDO for short. In his Build, Build, Build speech at the end of June, Boris Johnson said that he wanted to create additional housing by converting a range of commercial locations to residential. In September, he started this process by adjusting the use class order to put many of the different uses into a new use class. This was use class E, or as they called it, commercial business and service. This new use class now includes shops, offices, banks, gyms, doctors, dentists, creches, nurseries, light industrial, etc., and several more. That process is likely to be developed further by altering the GPDO, and this consultation paper lays out their plans, and the government is inviting you to respond and give your views on whether this is a great opportunity for developers in 2021 and beyond. The main crux of the consultation paper is the ability to convert any property in use class E to residential. Yes, you heard me right, any property that is currently in use class E, so any of those I mentioned earlier to residential. So you can take a restaurant, shop, banks, dentists, gyms and all those and convert any of those to residential from the 1st of August 2021. This would replace and build upon class O, Office to Residential and Class M Shops to Residential. One of the bigger issues with Class O and Class M is that they are both date stamped. In other words, they needed to have existed back in March 2013 for both these. And like me, you probably do not have the ability to go back in time. So anything constructed in the last 7 years can't enjoy these PD rights. This new proposal therefore is going to bring many existing buildings into play. So perhaps there's a few opportunities there for you to go and start looking for these types of buildings now rather than waiting until it becomes live in August 21. The other limiting factor currently is that Class M is limited to 150 square metres. This proposal is to have no limits. Probably, I guess, due to larger offices, it would be rather hard to put a limit on offices whereas Use Class E allows for flexible changes within it. And so if offices had no limits but shops did, by converting a big shop to an office and keeping it in use class E, that shop would now have no limit as an office. Therefore, I don't believe they can just limit part of it to a certain size. It's proposed that the new PD right will apply in conservation areas just as class O does now, but not in areas such as AONBs, Triple SIs, etc. Cities such as Bristol are virtually all conservation area, and therefore excluding conservation areas would have a big limit in towns and cities like Bristol, where you wouldn't be able to convert anything under class use class E to residential. So I do think they have to have this applying in conservation areas. As in any conservation area and indeed in non-conservation areas, anything external is probably going to still require a separate planning application as it does now for Class O. The proposal is to check against all the usual checks and balances such as flood risk, contamination, highways, etc., Although there is a new proposal in there of fire risk. But my feeling is that this is more of a building control matter rather than planning. So I'm not sure if that's actually going to make it through to the full legislation. We'll just have to wait and see. There is one change to fees. Currently the application fee is £96 per application. The proposal is to change this to £96 per dwelling but with a cap at 50 dwellings. Reading through the consultation paper, I can see no mention made of class G, which is two flats above a shop or bank, etc. So we'll have to wait to see if this is going to remain or whether it will go. I'm hoping that it will get expanded to two flats above any use class E use, but we will have to see. Maybe class G will be subject to a prior approval. Currently you do not need the permission of the local authority to go ahead and do it. You just need to comply with building regs etc. This consultation is only running until 28th of January 2021 so the government is clearly wanting to just get this sorted. I have put a link in the show notes to both the consultation paper and also to where you can go to show your support or give other comments on the proposals that have been made this week by the government. Following last week's episode on banks, I've had quite a few comments on social media about people's preferences as far as banks are concerned. It certainly seems that most of you do like Starling Bank and have banked with them for a while, but others quite like the cards that are issued by other banks, so the jury is still out on some of them. If you missed last week's episode, Why not go back now and have a listen to it and let me know your thoughts at Property on Fire, either on Twitter or on Facebook. Now on to our first question this week, and that was tweeted to at Property on Fire by Mark. And he's got an extension, or should I say he's planning to put an extension on the back of a residential house. The one issue he has is that he's got a very old outbuilding that has been in existence probably before 1948. And Mark's actually asking as to whether he can actually join the extension onto this outbuilding in his rear garden. Unfortunately, Mark, you can't. You have a maximum depth under permitted development of either three metres or four metres, depending upon whether it's a semi-detached or a detached property or indeed a terrace house. And your issue is is that if you actually join that extension onto the existing outbuilding the depth of your new extension will exceed those limits. So if you've got an outbuilding that has a depth of, say, 2 metres, and your gap between your existing house and that outbuilding is, say, 3 metres, if you join them together, your new re-extension is going to be 5 metres and not the 3 metres infill that you would be doing. So you can't actually join these together unless the overall depth stayed within the 3 meter or 4 meter limit which in your case i don't think it does so the question has to be as to how small that gap can actually be between the buildings i've seen appeals one on as little as 50 millimeters so the gap does not have to be very big at all but there does have to be a gap the gap is not defined anywhere and therefore people have managed to have a very very small gap 50 millimeters is not exactly much, is it? So I hope that answers your question, Mark, as to what you can actually do with your existing outbuilding and with the extension that you are planning. I hope it goes well, my friend. Our second question is from Jack, who has asked, can he still convert his residential property into an HMO after an Article 4 has come into effect? Right, Jack's problem is that He was actually advised incorrectly, I feel, by the local authority or by one person as to how he can actually do the modifications on his property and still convert that into an HMO even after the Article 4 has come into use. Unfortunately, Jack, you can't. Class L of the GPDO goes from a C3 to a C4 in your case or you could go from a C4 to a C3 if you wanted to, but it does not apply in an Article 4 area. So once Article 4 is kicked in, you can't use Class L rights. So when does a house become an HMO, and, and when is it still a house? Well, an HMO is from three to six residents. So therefore, once you've got two people in there on ASTs, it's still a C3 residential dwelling. Move your third person in and class L will kick in and make that into an HMO. But unfortunately, and I'm not aware of any legislation that one could actually use, if the local authority has given bad advice, they are wrong and they shouldn't have done it. But I'm afraid you are now going to need full planning in order to convert your residential C3 dwelling into an HMO because Article 4 has now kicked in in your area. I'm not aware of any way to get around this, Jack, so I apologize. It's probably not the answer you want wanted, but it is what it is, I'm afraid. Before we dive into our monthly financial update with Darren from Acumen Finance, I thought I'd give a quick update on our development sites for Leading Homes. As you're probably aware by now, we have two active sites. One is a 22-unit conversion down in South Devon. This is almost at building reg sign-off stage, but we continue to be thwarted by the weather, and it's making the rendering very hard to actually complete on the outside of the building very annoying this on our other site in westwood hoe in north devon you may remember that we'd actually exchanged on this land in order to build 14 bungalows unfortunately our investor has caught covid and is not very well and for various obvious reasons is unable to actually go ahead with funding his investment to the scheme As a result of this, unfortunately, we were not able to complete last week on the actual purchase. So the vendors were quite within their rights to actually give us a 10-day notice to actually complete. If we can't complete within these 10 days, these 10 working days, then we risk losing the £125,000 that we have invested so far into this site. We are talking to a few Investors that have smaller amounts, anything from 50000 upwards. And if you are interested in this opportunity, then why not email investor at leadinghomes.co.uk and let's see what we can do together. I'm sure we will get it over the line. The actual planning permission runs out in May, so they do not have an endless amount of time in order to sell and get this land started to be developed. Now on to our financial update for December. I'm very pleased to have with me today Darren Doe from Acumen Finance and you will find Darren's contact details in today's show notes should you wish to get hold of him about any of his services he may be able to offer. Thanks Darren and welcome to Property on Fire. I think the best place to start is
1: probably going to be residential mortgages um, as this is quite a big part of the market and something that everyone seems interested in. So why don't we start there? Good news on this front is we're starting to see the lenders relaunching the 90% LTV mortgages, which is a good sign of the overall health of the property market and the residential mortgage market. So just to give you a bit of an insight here, in March 2020 of this year, the number of 90% loan to value mortgages was about 779. That dropped to around about 56 products in March of 2020. So the fact that these products are come, starting to come back onto the market is obviously a very good sign that you know things are recovering and the lenders are optimistic. So in November of this year, we've seen a number of larger lenders, likes sort of TSB, Yorkshire Building Society, have started to expand their offerings, offerings as well, which has seen the number of 90% LTV residential mortgages and products available probably around about the 80 80 number mark now instead of the initial 56 that was at the start of March. Obviously still way lower than the 700 we had prior to the the pandemic, but it's a good indication there that lenders are starting to open up again and starting to offer your 90% residential LTV mortgages again. The good news in this sector as well is that the majority of lenders are actually open for business. Um, you know they're actively looking to lend and actively looking to um, get people mortgages and get them their, their houses, whether that be first time buyers or help to buy or whatnot. They're actively open and looking for uh, for business. On the back of that, to put it in you know some context, twelve months ago, ninety um, percent LTV two year fixed uh, fixed rates were available at rates you know well below two percent. But in today, and you know, during the pandemic, and where we're at at the moment, that same equivalent lo- loan is costing you sort of well above three percent. So you can see, obviously, the interest rates are representing the the risks that the lenders are obviously trying to mitigate there. The higher interest rates, as well, that's despite the the Bank of England's base rate being a historic level of you know zero point one percent. So that is quite considerable. October saw the highest level of approvals um, since two thousand and seven. So again, that backs up the fact that lenders are, you know, looking to give people mortgages and are yeah they are tightening their belts in terms of criteria and affordability and stuff like that but they are still willing to lend which is obviously a bit different to other crises we've seen in the past i think mortgage borrowing hit 4.3 billion last month compared to 200 million in april of 2020 so the decision to suspend the stamp duty has obviously worked um, and has clearly helped so hopefully that's given you a bit of an insight over the residential market and and what's involved there and what's happening in that area so let's move on to the buy-to-lets and HMOs. So at the moment, what we're seeing is that the maximum loan-to-value um, has returned to 80%. So that's a good sign there again. Um, it had dropped to you know 75%. So there is now lenders offering you the 80% loan-to-value, which is great. Again, the number of uh, providers is extremely limited. Um, they do have strict criteria, and therefore we're having to manage expectations and. Um, help out in that, in that sense. In terms of buy to let lenders and HMOs the majority of the lenders are back open um, but the numbers you know the number of available products is significantly reduced um, obviously similar to what's happening in the residential market when it went from you know 700 down to 56 in terms of products being offered. The amount of uh, buy to let and HMO products have been reduced um, prior to what we had you know Pre COVID nineteen, um, but there are more out there, um, and they are starting to come back to the market with other products and stuff like that. So it is a good sign there again. So one of the lenders that we deal with quite a lot together, um, who are often the, the the lender you go to with you know specialist cases, um, they are technically have reopened, um, but they're only dealing with a very select few um, brokers and mortgage advisors. Therefore, you're having to go through what's known as packagers, which um, are quite difficult to deal with and can be quite a hassle to um, work with. On the buy-to-let and HMO market, service them accommodations and holiday lets they are still quite difficult at the moment in terms of getting mortgages for for these, but the sort of number of lenders who, who are looking at these types of deals has increased, so they are still out there and still willing to lend on them, but it's not as easy as it probably would have been prior to COVID-19. So specialist um, holiday lets as well, non you know limited company. The maximum LTVs you're seeing again are about fifty-five to sixty percent interest rate, and your starting point is you know three point nine percent. So again, quite high there. Limited companies um, buy to lets and HMOs. Most of the sort of minimum loans we're seeing is 150000 hundred and fifty thousand. So anything below that, you're not going to get any kind of buy to let or HMO for a limited company. You're going to struggle with that one. Um, most lenders, as well, you're looking for at least you know two years' experience. Um, if you're looking for a buy-to-let or an HMO via a limited company, and again, your starting rates three uh, to four percent on that side of things. Overall, the market is a bit more normal um, in terms of how it was to you know back in March of this year. Uh, we have noticed that um, a lot of the legal work is taking a bit longer than it would have normally done prior to of a COVID-19 and the hassle that's caused. Probably. Because most of the sort of you know legal side of things are still working from home and not all in office, so it's making these processes taking a bit longer. We do still have, and we still are seeing lenders who are willing to look at people who you know may have credit issues. So again, that's not a massive problem there. We there is still the lenders who will consider these and still look to work with people who are having these credit issues. I think it was last week or the week before, um, refurbishment to let facilities, particularly uh, Precises offering has came back to the market as well, so that's a good sign there. Maximum LTV for that is about 65%. So overall the, the buy to let market is still operating, it's still there, lenders are still willing to work with everyone. In terms of bridging and light and sort of you know bridging finance is specifically for your sort of light and heavy refurbishments. So again, this market tends to be at the moment split into two different types. So you've got your bank short term funders and your private financers. The loan to values for these um, for bridging loans for heavy and light refurbishment has significantly reduced. Your commercial bridging has reduced from sort of maximum of 60% from what was previously 70% loan to value you can now get 65% commercial bridging loan to value but the rates will reflect this so expect them to be you know slightly higher than they were and projects we are seeing as well projects involving heavy refurbishment can now be funded as well so and the, you know the, the LTVs and interest rates are probably back to what they were pre-COVID-19 so a good sign there again in terms of bridging finance, yeah, it's we're seeing slightly, you know, lower LTVs, but there is still lenders there who are willing to work with us and willing to, you know, loan to people. So a good sign again. In terms of property development finance and um, development finance, that sort of thing. Again, same thing here. There's still plenty of lenders in this market offering development finance. We're seeing, you know, a lot of inquiries around this area from clients. Yeah, clients are obviously experiencing delays as well through local authorities and getting planning permission and that sort of thing. So it has taken a wee bit longer, but lenders are still um, looking into this area and still willing to lend on it. Again, another thing that lenders have always been very precise on is you need to have the experience in this field. They won't look at anyone who doesn't have experience in this field. Um, so if you you know gather that experience first before you start looking to take any kind of property development finance. Overall lending um yeah has reduced slightly since you know July of this year. You're talking typically six to seven point five percent you know yearly cost. So um, yeah, it has come down from what it was but obviously still a wee bit higher. In terms of the, the minimum contribution levels as well, they are getting back to what was seen, you know, prior to COVID nineteen. So your loan to gdvs uh, GDV is again back at seventy percent and your loan to costs are about eighty percent. We are seeing um, more need for use of mezzanine finance to cover those gaps as well. Again, this would be very dependent on your principal funder. So yeah, again, very optimistic in this like There There is still lenders there in the market offering development finance, should you need it or should you require it. In terms of your commercial mortgages, yeah, specifically for this, we'll say semi-commercial. This is one of the areas that's been badly affected at the moment. The market is still quite difficult. Especially uh, commercial mortgages for investment purposes. Um, First time landlords, those people with no experience. The majority of you know lenders who would pre-COVID nineteen perhaps accepted first time landlords have withdrawn. Um, So uh, yeah, if you're a first time landlord for you know just semi commercial mortgage, it's probably not going to happen at the moment. If you do have a sort of residential portfolio and you're a first time commercial landlord then there is some lenders who are a bit more supportive of this the likes of shawbrook interbury counties and country and that sort of thing they will look at this providing you've got the residential portfolio to go along with it one thing that um, we're seeing from most of the lenders in terms of commercial mortgages for semi-commercial products is it's got to be income generating right away it has to have, you know, a tenant or a tenant that will be in there by the date of completion. They won't look at anything that's not income generating just now. So that's an important note there. If you're looking at semi-commercial property, then make sure there's you have a tenant in there or a tenant lined up, because no lenders will look at it currently. If you're a you know experienced landlord in terms of commercial landlord experience, the market's a lot more supportive. Um, we're seeing. Maximum LTVs of about seventy percent from the likes of again your Interbay, Shawbrooks, these types of people. So, if you're a commercial landlord, you've got experience. The market is open and willing to work with you on that. In terms of yeah, key areas to consider just now for commercial mortgages, it needs to be income generating. There has to be income generating, and most lenders want to know as well how long the commercial tenant's been in there for place. Uh, been in place for, if it's not a long sort of, it's not income generating. Most commercial Mortgage providers won't look at it. A lot of the lenders also want to understand the impact of COVID 19 has had on the tenants as well. So, you know, are they open? Have they been able to work? Has the rent be paid? Are there any sort of arrears reduced, rent agreed? That sort of thing. A lot of lenders will ask these questions up front in terms of commercial mortgages for, you know, semi commercial purposes. Lenders as well are wanting to have a lot more in depth knowledge of the lease terms, so the expiry date, be bleak, break clauses, that sort of thing. For experienced landlords as well, lenders wish to understand the impact of COVID 19 has had on their overall portfolio and income as well. So, if this is, you know, if you're an experienced property landlord for commercial property, then expect that question to come up as well because they want to have an overall understanding of your portfolio and income and how COVID's affected it. Commercial uh, loans for owner occupiers, um, perhaps a bit different to the semi commercial side of thing. This market is still active. Maximum LTVs for this we're seeing about you know fifty five to seventy percent. There is a reduced number of um, lenders in this market at the moment. Some that are currently active. You've got like your Barclays, Redwood Bank, Cambridge and Country, Shawbrook that sort of they are still active and looking at it there are some other banks that have um sort of reopened to commercial loans for owner on occupier but they are very selective and only looking at certain very strict criterias um so like some natwest TSB, inner bay they're all open at the moment but very selective of the the cases they're looking at and um, especially Lloyds as well um who are you know happy to provide indi- indicative terms for commercial loans but they won't actually move forward on anything until their sort of embargo on their new accounts is lifted. Again, the same with um, Atom Bank. So they're still looking at stuff, but they're working their way through their CBOs application and, and yet yeah, won't look at anything else until that's sort of taken care of. Similar to the semi-commercial, commercial mortgages lenders will want to know, fully understand the impact that COVID um, has had on the business and the action the client has taken. So that's got to be something you, you should be prepared to answer if you're looking to get any formal of commercial role on a sort of owner occupied basis. So one thing um, I wanted to do, and a question I've been getting a lot from a lot of clients is, you know, what kind of impact is this gonna have going forward? And is this similar to what happened in 2008? Are we gonna see the same issues as we did back then. So I wanted to give a bit of an update just to kind of hopefully put some people's minds at rest and kind of try and reassure people. So in terms of the recession, you know, from 2008 2009, there's a few differences between what's happening now and what was happening then. In 2008, 2009, there was a very distinct lack of capital and liquidity within the marketplace. Essentially, the banks didn't have access to money and the funds that they did have, they weren't you know, looking to lend on it. They wanted to just keep it, squirrel it away and, and build up a, a war chest or a cash pot if you like to you know help them see them through this. The fundamental difference between what happened in 2008 and now is currently, right now, there is capital and liquidity within the marketplace so we're not going to see the same ramifications hopefully, fingers crossed and all that, um, compared to what happened within 2008 2009. There was a lot less um, lenders you know, in the marketplace um, back then compared to what we've got now. So because we have more options, there's more lenders available, we shouldn't see the same impact as what happened in 2008, 2009. Obviously, the biggest um, mitigator of what happened in 2008, 2009, compared to what has happened now, has been the, the level of government um, intervention. So obviously, your bounce-back loans and your C-bills and stuff like that. I'll go on to more about the C-bills shortly, just give everyone an update on that. Those um, injections of funds and and capital again into the market has hopefully helped to mitigate some of the issues that we saw emerging from the recession in 2008 and 2009. As I mentioned, in terms of C bills, I just wanted to kind of give a bit of an update on that as well for anyone that might be interested in the business bills back loans and the C bills and stuff like that. So at the moment, um, both of these uh, are still currently in place, and the schemes are due to end on the 31st of January 2021, with all the facilities to be drawn down by the 31st of March 2021 as well. Again, no news as yet if that will be extended or um, any, you know any further extensions to that. So at the moment. Take those dates as they are the 31st of January for the scheme to end and then all the drawdowns have to be done by the 31st of March 2021. There has been a significant increase in the number of approved lenders since the first launch in March. In 2020, I think there's well over 100 lenders now. CBILS is still going, it's still helping and it'll still continue on until January of next year. If you need any information on that or anything, yeah, I'm more than happy to provide that. I hope that's been helpful. I hope you've enjoyed that. I've always been taught as well, whenever you're given any kind of speech or update or prolonged talking session, you should always try and end with a joke. So here's mine and it'll be property slash mortgage related as well. So here's my joke for this week. Why was the mortgage so clingy? It hated being alone. Yeah, there you go. How was that? I bet you that was the most cringe-worthy thing you've ever heard. Anyway, I hope that's not too bad, and I promise if you do call or email me, you won't get jokes like that every single time. I hope that's been helpful, and I look forward to hearing from you.
0: Thanks, Darren, for that update this week. I hope you've enjoyed today's show. Thank you very much to Darren for his very insightful property update on the financial side of things and you can find his contact details in today's show notes. You can also find links to the consultation paper and also to the actual place where you can go and leave your comments before the consultation closes on the 28th of January 2021. If you have enjoyed today's show don't forget to Rate us, review us and subscribe via your favourite podcast app. And if you didn't enjoy it, then please still subscribe. But let me know how I can actually improve this podcast for you. Don't forget you can tweet me at Property On Fire. So if I can help you in your journey, then please do get in touch. Have a great week. And keep safe. Property on Fire with Ian Walmsley. Please use your podcast app to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And if you'd like a question answered on a future episode, email Ian at propertyonfire.co.uk.